I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. All right, here we are. Um, Last week, last week, yeah, I like to jump right into it. Um, I saw a couple uh, memes from a pro-choice artist. Her name's uh, Tatiana Gill, or at least that's her name on Twitter, where I was able to find her. And it showed Jesus, the Lord Jesus, supporting an abortion. In fact, there were multiple images that show Jesus supporting abortion, actually helping somebody assist them in some sense with getting their abortion. And uh, I just thought, I'm going to do a video response to this. I'd like to talk about this issue. I think it's worth discussing. Obviously, it's worth discussing. It's huge. Um, well, before I went to make a video about the memes that I saw, I thought, let me, uh, let me reach out to the artist. Let me reach out to Tatiana and just get you know some information from her because why? I want to first make sure I understand her point. I don't want to put video content and have her say, wait a minute, that wasn't the point of my art. So that was one of the reasons. Um, well, she blocked me. That was her response to me reaching out. I didn't get a, a response back. I, I sent her a private message on Twitter. She just blocked me like that. Uh, no further contact. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the propaganda of several pictures, not just one, but I found multiples that she has drawn to show Jesus supporting abortion. We're gonna look at the propaganda, like what's the message, what is being taught to people with these images as they use Jesus to support abortion. And uh, I think on the topic of abortion, people are just blinded by propaganda. Propaganda rules the day uh, when it comes to, especially the pro-choice crowd. Uh, It's full of propaganda. In fact, I think they've just gone all in. I think they've just given up trying to use, um, you know, good reasoning and thoughtful, careful, you know, thought out reasons, just reasons at all. Instead, it's just propaganda. It's just push the agenda, push the agenda. So we're going to talk about that in a rational way today. We'll also answer questions about whether Jesus would support abortion or not. Um, And I'm going to talk about what some, uh, uh, what I said to her basically in my private message. I'll share that with you at the end to give you my private message to her and why she blocked me and how I think it reveals something about the pro-choice movement that they, many of them would rather not have revealed because it looks really bad, because they tout an idea called tolerance and and dialogue, um, but they're actually very opposed to both of those things. So we're going to do that today. Welcome to the Tuesday live stream. Uh, my name's uh, Mike Winger. I'm a pastor in Southern California. I do, as most of you know, I do every week on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I do something related to theology, apologetics, something related to uh, explaining, teaching, defending the Christian worldview that sort of thing. So let me just jump right in. Here is the first image. Take a look at this. Uh, Now I'm presenting this image to you for the purpose of critique. I'm not trying to get anything out of her artwork or something like that. Um, This is for critique, but I can't critique the image without showing it to you because it's all about what these images are, what they say. I have a link in the description for Tatiana Gill. If you'd like to check out her content, I encourage you, uh, be gracious to her, be nice to her. Don't go and harass her. That's not what we're about. Uh, But if you want to look into her content, there's a link to her Twitter profile, which I can no longer view, but you probably can because I don't think she blocked you. (laughs) So so here's what what this uh, scene has. I'll describe it for those who might be listening on podcasts and aren't watching on YouTube. Um, Well, it, it has a woman. She's on her way into an abortion clinic. She's walking down a path. On either side of the path, there are protesters, four altogether, two on each side. And they're holding up signs. And the signs kind of, you know, in their aggressive faces towards her, one's pointing at her. But the signs say, murderer, killer, your body, my choice. And then the fourth sign is forced birth for the poor. Forced birth for the poor. So clearly, the message is, you know, here's what the pro-choicers are. They're jerks. And here's this sort of innocent victim girl who's walking on her way to get an abortion. Well, the thing you might not expect is Jesus is in this picture too. And there he is. He is standing kind of like walking, like like almost like Moses going through the Red Sea. He's got one hand out on each side, like like shutting down the, uh, the protesters. And he's putting his hands out to kind of shut them down. He's smile on, smiling on his face. On his, on his uh, vest, he has two signs. One says clinic escort. And the other one says Escolta Clinica, which I'm assuming is clinic escort in Spanish. And then above his head, it has a quote from the real Jesus. It says, with you always, with you always. So Jesus is smiling. He's supporting what she's doing. He's blocking her from the oppression of those around her. That's the unexpected part. Let me show you image number two, because image number two is more bold. And then we're going we're gonna to proceed to discuss these images, uh, critique them. In, image number two 
is during an abortion procedure. The woman is lying on the table. She's in the process of having an abortion. The doctor's not delivering her baby. He's killing it. And Jesus is there with her, holding her hand to support her through this. He says above his head, with you always. This And, and in case you're thinking, wait a minute, Mike, this can't mean what you think it means. She actually explained this image on her Twitter profile. Tatiana Gill says, with you always. The image is, Jesus holds a woman's hand in loving support as she lays on a medical bed getting a procedural abortion from a doctor. And then uh, she's complaining that uh, she's having a hard time putting this up on Facebook for some reason. Um, so th this is her interpretation of her own artwork. Yes, this, this is an abortion procedure Jesus is supporting. He's in loving support holding her hand. That's the idea. All right, let's talk a little bit about those two images. I think the first thing we see is obviously we're getting we're getting a one-sided thing. Art does tend to produce sort of biased content, and that's the nature of art, of course. Um, the question is, is it good biases or bad biases, I guess? And what we see here, though, is the number one issue with both of these pieces of art. L look at them again, right? There's something missing on both of these artwork pieces. There's a person missing. There's an important person that's not included in either of these images. It's the baby, right? In the in the second image, the abortion's happening, but you wouldn't know because there's no baby in this picture. There's no there's nothing artistically done to demonstrate there's a child involved or a living human being. In the first picture, there's nothing to demonstrate there's a living human being involved at all. This is exactly what people do on the issue of abortion. The pro-choice movement is surrounded by this sort of like elephant in the room, this thing they don't talk about, right? the baby, the innocent human being, the living human that's inside of the mother right now that they never discuss. Because in order for them to get away with promoting the kind of content they're promoting, it really helps to not talk about the actual victim of an abortion. So in both of these images, there's no baby. There's no baby. So this is why the pro-choice movement can get away with phrases like bodily autonomy, you know, the pro-choice, it's really just about a woman's right to choose, a woman's right to do this, to do what she wants with her own body. And I would agree, in fact, most people would agree, if that was the issue. See, what, what the pro-lifers are saying is not that a woman doesn't have a right to choose what to do with her body. What they're saying is, guys, it's not about her body. There's another body involved, and that body belongs to a tiny little living human being. There are other bodies involved. So I approve a firefighter has a right to do with he, what he wants with his own body. But when he's carrying somebody out of a fire, he doesn't at that moment have the right to drop them onto the ground into the fire and say, well, I, I don't want to be burdened with them anymore. I have lots of good reasons. I'm just going to drop them down into the fire. No, firefighter, stop. You have a responsibility um, to take care of this person, to save them from what's going on. So some would say a woman has a right to do what she wants with her own body. And we would agree, yes, of course she does. In general, that's a good general rule of thumb. But she doesn't have the right to take a fork with her body and stab it with her body into someone else's head. Because now you're involving someone else's body. Right? That, that would seem obvious. But this is the kind of stuff that we can't talk about because the pro-choice movement won't admit frequently um, that there is even another body involved. Right? It's not just her body. So this is what I want to say is about the abortion issues. The abortion issue is about the one thing that is ignored by the pro-choice individuals frequently. Not every individual, but for the most part, yeah, as you dialogue with people, they ignore the one thing. The one thing is, what are we killing? What is this thing that's being killed inside of the woman? What What is being killed? Because if this thing that's being killed is like not really a human, it's not really alive, it's not really even being killed, it's just removing some sort of, you know, mass no big deal. Go for it. Why Why is this an issue? But if it's a living human being, all of a sudden, a host of moral issues come up and we can't just willy-nilly kill living human beings. So then we get into the dialogue about what is what is going on, you know, in an, in an abortion. And the pro-choice movement will often try to say things like, it's just a clump of cells. This isn't really a baby, Mike. It's a clump of cells. It's a clump of cells. You guys remember hearing that phrase, clump of cells? I mean, technically, you're a clump of cells, right? I mean, you're a gathering of cells. But this, while it's a slogan, while it's a it's a propagandistic slogan, it doesn't actually say anything about Because literally every living thing in the world is a clump of cells. Every one of them. 
trees are clumps of cells. I'm a clump of cells. I'm just a bigger clump of cells than an infant inside the womb or a, an embryo or a fetus. I'm a larger clump of cells. So are we saying that only clumps of cells of certain size have value or deserve protections? No, that, that doesn't really make sense. So what really is going on? What's inside the living being? Now, I don't want to do a whole long thing on that. I just want to get right to the point because I think most of us know the answer to this question if we're honest with ourselves. So most Americans, there was a poll done, most Americans say that biologists are the ones who should be able to tell us when human life begins, that they're qualified, right? They're, they're studying the actual things that go on when sperm and egg meet, when uh, fetal development goes through its various stages, and they should be qualified to tell us what human life, when human life begins. Well, there was a study done by Stephen Andrew Jacobs, um, who is from the University of Chicago Division of Social Sciences Department of Comparative Human Development. He did a study. I have a link to this study in the video description. You're welcome to check it out. If you're on a computer, you could even uh, open it in a new tab and, and you could, you know, multitask and <laughs> listen to me while you're examining that paper. What they did was they it surveyed over 5,000 biologists, actually 5,502 biologists asking them, when does human life begin, right? When is, when is this thing alive and, and human, alive and human? And they surveyed over 5,000 biologists, 5,502, from 1,058 academic institutions. It's important that when you, when you survey a large group, you survey from a lot, not just a large number of people, but from a lot of different institutions. You want to do that so you're not just getting one way of thinking about an issue. Well, it turns out there was consensus amongst biologists, consensus, which is a big deal, uh, that, that human life begins at conception. That's when sperm and egg meet, boom, human life has begun. 95, I'll quote now from the study, this is in the paper, 95% of all biologists affirmed that the biological view that a human's life begins at fertilization. A human's life begins at fertilization. So th this includes um, pro-choice biologists, not just like pro-life ones, they weren't just Christian colleges or something like that, but pro-choice biologists were in there as well. Atheist biologists were in there as well. And they agreed overall consensus 95% human life begins at conception at conception now on such a hot issue where people are so uh, especially pro-choice people would be so prone to want to push human life to some later stage of development right it's crazy that there's a 95% consensus on this topic what it means is that the biology is not complicated or confusing it's clear it's alive it's human it's in, it's it's separate from the mother though it's dependent it's still separate it's distinct that, that much is clear. That much is clear. I'll give you a quote now from uh, Bernard Nathanson. Bernard Nathanson, he, he's, not, he's not a uh, Christian pastor, okay? This guy, he co-founded one of the most influential abortion advocacy groups in the world, NARAL. He co-founded them. He said the following. There is simply no doubt that even the early embryo is a human being. All its genetic coding and all its features are indisputably human. As to being, there's no doubt that it exists, is alive, is self-directed, and is not the same being as the mother, and is therefore a unified whole. So when we, when we approach the issue of abortion, we should just be asking, honestly, the question isn't, isn't like, who's the bad guy? Here's image one. Who are the meanies and who's the victim here? Image two, oh, who's the one going through hard times who needs support? No, these ignore the issue. Where's the baby in these pictures? Where's the living human being that is being killed in these pictures? When it comes to abortion, the, real, the only question, the only question is when is it okay to kill a living human being in the womb of her mother? That's the question. That's the question. But, but the pro-choice um, side of things has found this question really hard to answer. And when they do answer it honestly, when they're like, you can kill a living human being in the mother whenever you feel like it. When they say things like this, people freak out. And, the, and it's like the, um, the elephant in the room is exposed and they realize you're, you're doing a horrible, immoral thing. And so instead of admit it, a lot of them don't want to die on that sword of admitting, admitting the homicide that's taking place. So instead of admitting it, what they want to do is just talk around it and, and ignore the elephant in the room. So we get phrases like this, right? Uh, on websites that tell you what abortion is, they say abortion is to remove the pregnancy from the uterus. Remove the pregnancy from the uterus. I mean, can you tell that they're trying not to talk about the issue at hand? Or they'll say something like, evacuate the uterus. Evacuate the uterus. Is that, like what would happen in court if, if someone broke into your house and they, and they um, took one of your family members 
and they they dragged them out of your house, strangled them and dragged them out of your house and, and threw them out to die of exposure in the in the wilderness. And then they stand in court and they said, well, I didn't commit murder. I I evacuated them from your house. That's all I really did. I just evacuated them from your house. This is obviously trying to talk around the issue of abortion, not being willing to admit or confront the real things that are going on here, the moral atrocity that's happening here. Let me give you one more example of an image that um, uh, that this uh, artist put up, Tatiana Gill. Her other with you always image, it's a theme, with you always, Jesus is with you always. She describes this image as a trans man who is taking chemicals to induce a medical abortion, a medical abortion. Now, a lot of people think medical abortions because they happen at the earlier stages of pregnancy that they're really not a big deal. But they don't understand what actually happens in a medical abortion. I would like, if you're pro-choice, for you to have the, the courage and the integrity to find out what you're, what you're supporting. And click the link in the description that is about a three-minute video describing what happens in a medical abortion. It's, an, it's a former abortionist, doctor who committed many abortions, I think he said 1,200, um, who actually describes what happens during a medical abortion. This is from the live action uh, website or, or, or group, and uh, it's a great video. I recommend you guys check it out. This, is, this picture is deceptive, right? There's no baby in this picture. There should be. There really should be. Or we get statements like this. We want to keep abortion safe and legal. These are the slogans. This is the propaganda of the pro-choice movement. Keep abortion safe and legal. Safe and legal. Safe and legal. If abortion kills a living human, which it most certainly does, it's not safe. Every abortion results in the death of a living human being. So it's not safe. So why would you keep it legal? Think about it. Think about it. I mean, our, our very inalienable rights according to the United States Declaration of Independence, Constitution, like the most foundational rights we have is the right to life among them. Life. When we have abortions, we rob a living human being of their right to life. Every abortion does this. Wow. But we get other ways that people try to try to work away from the what's happening in an abortion, what it means in an abortion. Um, and they'll say things like, um, well, it's just a zygote or a fetus or an embryo. And they, and they just like, I mean, literally, they just want to use weird names to dehumanize this, this person, this living human being inside of the mother. They just want to use weird names. Um, I had a discussion like this when I went to college. When I went my my um, uh, my, my little amount of college, and we, we, I went to a class, uh, Logic and Critical Thinking, where the first thing we learned in class, it was interesting, they said, language is a system of shared conventions. I remember that for some reason. Language is a system of shared conventions. You know, what we, when we use language, those terms would have no meaning except that we agree on their meaning, right? Um, another way to put this is like, uh, a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet. Meaning I can call that rose anything I want. I can call it poop. If I want to call it poop, it doesn't change the fact that it's a rose. This is what's happening with the, um, with the abortion discussion when we, we decide we're not going to call this a baby. We're going we're gonna to fight over terms. We're going to call this a fetus, an embryo, a zygote, a blastocyst. We're going to use these weird terms people aren't used to. And this is to dehumanize the, the, the living human being inside the mother, which that most certainly is a living human being inside a real mother. And so in my uh, college class, my uh, professor was very liberal. And I live in California, right? So, like, there aren't too many like me around here. And so um, I uh, I was discussing this in, in the class. He was talking about abortion. And I was like, yeah, abortion's wrong, man. That's wrong. You should, we shouldn't have that. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And it, he was... He was losing the battle um, in this discussion um, by God's grace because I was like a 19-year-old uh, dummy. But he, but by God's grace, he was like, it was being shown that his his opinion was wrong. So he started shutting me down. He wouldn't let me talk. Um, and it was actually pretty exciting for me. I think it was a good discussion. I was very respectful the whole time. And I recommend if you're debating with professors, which I don't wholly recommend in the first place, but that you be very respectful the whole time and careful with your words. But at one point, the professor got really upset, and I think he felt cornered, so he left the room, and I'm not kidding, he was gone for like 10 minutes, and he was looking for a dictionary that would support his view that um, the, the, the child in the womb is not a child, not a baby, not properly called a baby or a child. So he finally found a dictionary that supported his view, and he flipped open, and he read a section that showed that it was a zygote, that this is a zygote. I think for the first certain number of weeks, we have a zygote. Techn we are a zygote, I should say, technically. 
Um, and so I just raised my hand. I said, uh, Dr. Groover, uh, Gruber, was it Groover or Gruber? I don't remember. I said, Dr. Gruber, um, you said that language was a system of shared conventions, which really just means that you're just trying to say that if you give this living human being a new name, now it's okay to kill it. And that was the end of that discussion. I was not allowed to speak for the rest of the class. And that's what's happening here. We use zygote feed as embryo. Literally, you guys, you were a zygote. You were an embryo. You were a fetus. I have a bumper sticker. Maybe I'll talk about this sometime on a, on a video that says former embryo on board. That would be me. I'm the former embryo on board. It gets me a lot of flack out here in California, uh, both positive and negative. It definitely gets some attention. I've had a note on my window because of it before. I've been I've been uh, followed by a woman who wanted to chew me out because of it before, and uh, um, I think it's all kind of funny. But but yeah, we're, I'm a former embryo. So are you. So yeah, these are literally a zygote, a fetus, an embryo. This is just what humans are at early stages. You were also a child. You were also pre-adolescent. You were also juvenile. You were also an adult. You are a uh, an old. Uh, adult or elderly or an old person or an ancient Yoda, whatever it is. These are all just different stages of human development. They're all human and they're all therefore having human value or the value of human life. You know, you could think about this simply in your life. If you're not with me on this, but you're still listening, I appreciate that you are. Imagine you have a friend who has a miscarriage and your friend's really down. They're really bummed. They're really sad. They had a miscarriage. I think we all know somebody who has. And so you turn to them and you say, don't worry, don't worry. It was just a zygote. Don't worry, it was just a fetus. Don't worry, it was just a clump of cells. It wasn't even like a thing. Don't worry, don't worry at all. Do you do that to your friend or is that like an, an not only an insensitive slap in the face, is it also like a delusional, um, basically a, a, a way of getting them to not think about the reality of what just happened, this horrible hard thing where they had a miscarriage. No, you, you don't say, I'm good, good thing that wasn't a, a baby, right? No, you, you say, I'm so sorry you lost your baby. When they say, I lost my baby, you're like, it wasn't a baby. No, you know what it was. You know what it was. And with abortion, somehow, somewhere, most of us know exactly what's going on. We're just not admitting it. We're just not admitting it. So there's ways of dehumanizing. Dehumanize the human inside the womb so that we can kill this human without thinking that it is a human. That's what's happening here. And this relates... Oh my gosh, this relates to tons of human rights atrocities that have happened throughout the years. Let me talk a little bit about Adolf Hitler. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you're Hitler if you support abortion. I'm saying there's a type of propaganda that Hitler would use that is the kind of propaganda one uses when one wants to dehumanize people so that you can more easily justify killing them. And that type of propaganda is also in action in the pro-choice movement. So Hitler's propaganda was um, promoted by this guy here, Joseph Goebbels. Joseph Goebbels would refer to the Jews as the Untermenschen, Untermenschen, or subhumans. He called them subhumans. He wanted to, okay, maybe they're human, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them like a lesser human, a lower human, somewhere down the rung on, the, on human importance. They don't have equal value as all humans. They have less value. They would refer to the Jews in their public media and in their discussions as rats, which would be an, a negative thing. Instead of a human, they'd be calling they'd be calling them rats or a parasite on the Jewish people. In fact, I've heard people call uh, infants in the in the womb parasites, right, or clumps of cells. I've heard these terms used. This is just the same kind of propaganda. Let's talk about eugenics. Eugenics. This is a photo from uh, a New York in about 1915, circa 1915. And here they are trying to promote eugenics, the idea that they would be able to, um, uh, uh, what's the term? Uh, make it so they can't have um, babies. I can't remember the term. What is the term? Anyway, I'll remember. It just blanks, blanks from my mind right now. But what they would do is they would say, hey, look, you know, uh, let's dehumanize the people that we want to sterilize. That's the term that we want to sterilize. And so they hold up these signs to represent those people. He says, I cannot read this sign. By what right have I children? Or another man holding up a sign, would the prisons and asylums be filled if my kind had no children? My kind? Like there's some lower breed of humans. This guy says, I must drink alcohol to sustain life. Shall I transfer the craving to others? So they can be... Um, 
dehumanized through this. And then finally, I'm a burden to myself in the state. Should I, should I be allowed to propagate? They made a rhyme out of it in that case. And so we have these, these kinds of things. Let's call them imbeciles, criminals, morons. They're humans, but they're lesser humans. Um, because my, my human rights, I don't want them to have the same human rights as me. I'm going to give them a lesser title. So they're fetuses. So they're, you know, zygotes or blastocysts briefly. I'm going to use those terms. When it came to uh, slavery propaganda, this is the kind of thing that they were dealing with in the early U.S. when we were fighting the battle against slavery. Uh, Abe Lincoln would deal with people who were saying things like that. Like, well, they're, they're you know, but they're imbeciles, right? Like, the but the black people aren't intelligent enough. Not true, but here's the point. It doesn't matter if it is true. It's not like people who aren't intelligent deserve to be enslaved. It's not like they have less human rights because they don't have a high enough intelligence. You don't gain more rights when you get smarter. This is just an, an inherently bankrupt view of human rights. So Abe Lincoln said the following, and I would think that, that this quote from Abe Lincoln applies so much to our abortion issue today. Listen to this and think of the parallels. He says, you say A is white and B is black. It is color then, the lighter having the right to enslave the darker. Take care, by this rule, you are to be slave to the first man you meet with a fairer skin than your own. You do not mean color exactly. You mean the whites are intellectually the superiors of the black and therefore have the right to enslave them. Take care again. By this rule, you are to be slave to the first man you meet with an intellect superior to your own. But say you, it is a question of interest. And if you can make it your interest, you have the right to enslave another. Like say with, uh, side note, with like say, hey, I need them to run my farm. Okay, I have I have my own personal interests. Um, and he says, um, very well, and if he can make it his interest, he has the right to enslave you. You just can't, you can't dehumanize people by grading them on things like awareness of their environment, level of dependency, that how the size they are. Oh, when, well, when they get a little bigger, then they'll have human value. Well, goodness gracious, I'd hate to be, um, I'd hate to be someone who was three foot seven permanently. I've only, I'm only like two thirds human. What am I? am I? Do I even have human rights? Can people hurt me and I don't have the recourse because I'm not big enough? Or only the intelligent, you know, well, you know, infants aren't self-aware. Well, people in comas aren't self-aware, but you can't kill them. In fact, almost every reason that you can use to support abortion of a baby in the womb, you can use to support abortion of a baby five minutes after it's been born. To kill that baby five minutes after it's been born. Think of a different, what's the difference? They're just as dependent on mom. Right? I mean, if she, if she doesn't take care of them and feed them, can she just leave them out to die now? Anyway, the whole discussion just breaks down morally. So one thing that Joseph Goebbels, there's that guy again right there. He was the propaganda minister for the Nazis um, during that dark time. And one of the things that he said was, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. Well, let me show you now. With this strategy in mind, it's a propaganda strategy. You hear my doorbell ring? <laughs> Go away, I'm live streaming on YouTube. Um, with this uh, propaganda view in mind that you just say it loud enough and over and over again, people may believe it. Well, this is the fourth image that I want to show you from Tatiana Gill. Recently posted because Valentine's Day just passed. She has a bunch of candy hearts and written on them are little messages for the pro-choice movement. Abortion is freedom, one heart says. Abortion is normal, another heart says. Abortion is equity, another heart says. One says, shout your abortion. Abortion is good. Abortion, you do you. Abortion is family values. Abortion is justice. I love people who have abortions. Abortion is health care. Abortion is healthy. Abortion is nonpartisan. Abortion is legal. These are all the, the, the hearts and the comments that have there. And this is um, honestly what we've seen the past few years with the abortion movement is shout your abortion. That whole idea is um, just, you know what? Um, just scream it. Just scream it as loud as you can. Say it as often as you can. Say it as strong as you can. Vilify the opposition. All this ignores the baby. All of this ignores the baby. Pro-choice people ignore the baby, the innocent human being. And you cannot rationally argue that this is uh, anything other than a living human being inside of the mother. Now, I'm going to share with you guys something I'm going I'm to prepare you for. But let me ask, let me say this. Let's say that you voted for abortion. 
you're a supporter of abortion or you're pro-life, but you're, you're really like background. Like you don't feel like there's anything you need to do to help move the, mo- the movement go forward. Maybe you're even pro-life privately, but you feel like publicly you're pro-choice because you feel like you have a justification for it. Here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that you need to watch this little clip I'm about to share with you. It's going to have disturbing images in it. I want to tell you right now and prepare you for it. If you don't want to watch it, you can skip ahead. It's about a minute, four minutes, seven seconds long. I think the reason why you should watch this video is because you're supporting the behaviors in this video. Shouldn't you at least be aware of what you're supporting? Because you may not even realize what's going on. You might not have really thought about this thing. You might be actually pushing forward the agenda of abortion through your voting or through your public support. Or maybe you're just allowing it to take place more because of silence, because of unwillingness to stand on the issue. And so you are influencing our culture in some fashion and you're helping these things happen. So I say you can turn away, you can click away, you can skip ahead, you can get off this video if you want. Those, that's fine. Here's the one minute clip. I think you ought to do this. I think you need to see this at least once in your life. You need to see what this abortion stuff looks like. There'll be no audio here. It's just going to be video. I'm going to go silent. You're going to hear some music. When the music ends, the video's over. Here we go. What I want to say is that that video that you just saw, that's the reality of abortion. This is the thing that everyone's been ignoring this whole time. That video shows the baby, shows that even if you don't like the term baby, fine. It shows the living human being. You can't really argue with that term. It shows the living human being that's being killed in the process of abortion. And you need to take a look at this, a sober look, because this is what you're supporting. This is what you're encouraging. This is what you're just staying silent on is this living human being to the tune of 800,000 this year, this last year, excuse me, 2019, right? I mean, that would be a conservative estimate based on the numbers I've heard recently. 800,000. That's what we're supporting. So this is the thing that's ignored. Now, if that's you and your heart is broken and your heart is torn apart because you realize that you've supported or even committed these, these acts, these atrocities of abortion, can I tell you about the grace of God in Jesus Christ? Jesus died for your sin. He suffered and died for your sin. He, paid, I mean, he knew the depth of your sin. Maybe you're suddenly aware of how wicked it was and you don't even know how to come to terms with what you've done. Can I say this? Jesus already knew how wicked it was. He already came to terms with it. And he came to terms with it on the cross when he died for your sin so that you could be washed and clean and forgiven. But in no way does the cross mean, while it does mean grace and forgiveness, it doesn't mean to minimize the sin or to ignore the baby. No, we need, to, we need to look at our sin and repent, which means confessing it, confronting it, and being honest about it. That's what we've got to do. That's what we need to do. So what, uh, what abortion pro-choice advocates tend to avoid is mentioning the baby. It's the elephant in the room, the thing they don't want to discuss. They want to talk around. They want to change and cloud the subject. But what they do focus on is very revealing as well. What they do focus on, what they do focus on is the woman, is the woman. Um, and you could see this in the images that I played you guys earlier, showed you earlier, right? Notice there's no baby in the image, but there is a woman and the woman is concerned, right? She's going through hard times and everybody else is mean to her. They're jerks. They're meanies. But look at her. She's just going through a hard time. In the second image, you see this woman. She's, you guys have been in surgery before. It is an unpleasant, exposed, difficult situation. It's hard. And she's going through a hard time. And I, I think she is. I think women committing abortion are going through a hard time. They are going through all kinds of hard stuff, difficult stuff, heart-wrenching stuff. But none of it's as bad as what they're putting that baby through. Right? The, the, the victim here, the one being ignored is the baby. But in order to uh, you know, push their agenda forward, they need a victim. 
they need a victim. They need they need bad guys and good guys, right? And so the woman going through a hard time becomes the focus. This is a propagandistic tactic. This is a propagandistic tactic where you create a victim to distract you from a human rights issue. For pro-choicers, it's the pregnant woman, right? She's oppressed. She's in danger. Uh, pro-lifers are mean to her. They don't care about her. They're hateful, horrible bigots. She's a victim. They're the villains. Um, let's ignore the baby. But this this reveals like a um, a moral aspect to the pro-choice pro-life movement that people don't often acknowledge which is to say this it's not like pro-lifers are saying we need moral values and pro-choicers are like we don't need moral values we hate moral values it's very different than that what's actually happening is that the pro-life movement feels like they have moral values and the pro-choice movement feels like they have just as many if not more morals than the other side does because they're protecting this woman they're blind to the baby, so they only see us vilifying women. Us, the pro-life movement, we tend to be like, look, there's a baby here, and we and we do. We try to support the woman and the baby. We do both. There's t- pro-life movement does so much to help women. Um, but yet that's irrelevant to the issue of the baby, right? There's a living human being. They don't see it. So their moral compass is upside down. It's, it's inverted. Like when you invert an image black and white, you don't just... You don't just um, get rid of morality. You invert it. You turn it around so it's completely backwards. In this case, helping a woman kill her living offspring is a good, is a moral good, is a moral positive thing. It, it, it should happen. This is, this is just morals upside down. Isaiah 5.20 talks about this. God speaks about this. He says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. They switch good for evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Uh, for Hitler, he did this. He 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 put he propped up a victim, so he can make the Jewish people look bad. He, his victim was the German people, right? The uh, the German people being held down, held back, harmed, abused by the Jewish people. So then it turned them into the bad guys. In, in eugenics, it was the productive members of society. They were they were held up, and then the imbeciles and the unproductive and the addicted were like, "You're victimizing the productive members of society." So here we have a victim. So now we can come against you. So in other words, they genuinely thought they were fighting for what's right. And this actually Douglas Gruthius, he was a scholar who looked into atrocities throughout the t- throughout history, a lot of atrocities. And he was he looked into these over and over again and he found the same thing consistently, and that is wherever you go in history where terrible atrocities are happening in a society, the society thinks it's good. Think about that. This really hit my heart when I heard this. Wait, the, you know, when atrocities happen in your culture, your culture doesn't see it. They don't know it. They like it. They think it's positive. This, If this doesn't describe abortion, I don't know what it describes. So in order to get you to like abortion, to think abortion's good, we must have a victim. The victim is the woman. And so they're fighting really hard to make women into victims on the topic of abortion. But if anybody's actually a victim, it's the innocent living human being inside the womb of the, uh, of the mother. Oh, man. Th- this stuff is... It's heavy. It's heavy, but it shows you why the conversation can't happen because pro-choice, they think they're defending the woman. Pro-life think they're defending the child and um, and, they're, and they're talking past each other. They're talking past each other. We obviously want to care for both of them. Of course, pro-lifers do care for but there's nothing about pro-life that says we don't care for the, for the women. Now, let me talk to you guys a little bit about abusing Jesus because that's what we see happening in this, in this image. Um, I think I'm going to do a whole video one of these days on all the biblical passages that relate to abortion. There's just too many of them to cram into this one video and the debate is too big on this topic. But there are plenty of people who want to say the Bible and particularly Jesus supports abortion like the woman in this, in this picture here, in, the, in these pictures here. Um, now, the with you always, what's the agenda behind this with you always content? It's basically to say, Hey, when Jesus said with you always, that applies to the abortion procedure. It applies to him saying, I'm going to support you when you're having an abortion. Now, the problem I have with this is that that's not what Jesus meant. When he said, I'm with you always, he didn't mean I will affirm whatever you do in the future. That's obviously not what he meant, right? When he writes the letters to the churches and in Revelation and they're in sin and he's like telling you, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. He's, he's rebuking them. He's refuting them. He's telling them how wrong they are. He even says he'll remove their lampstand. You know, This is a pretty harsh uh, condemnation of their behavior. So with you always doesn't mean approval of your behavior. We actually, we can read it in Matthew 28. Let me read to you when Jesus said this. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's Jesus' presence in the believer and in the church as we go out and we do our evangelism and discipleship job. It is not approval. It is not approval. Because if you take Jesus' phrase, with you always, to mean he approves or he's going to support you in your abortion, then you have to take him as approving what when people are sex trafficking. I mean, is can you draw a picture of a, of a guy who's sex trafficking some young girl and then put Jesus holding his hand and says, with you always? What about a rapist? Is Jesus with him always? Armed robbers? How about drivers who leave their brights on all the time? Right? Package thieves who steal your stuff, who steal the stuff from your doorstep. Are, is Jesus with them always? Is that what's going on? No, I don't think so. Um, I could do a whole video on, on, on just the biblical stuff. And I think I might in the future, all the biblical passages that relate to the topic of abortion, I think it'd be fruitful to do an actual examination of them, not just like throwing them all out. But what would Jesus actually say about abortion? I'll just offer three points real quick. Jesus won. He affirmed the Old Testament. He affirmed the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't stand as an oddball in the Bible disagreeing with everything else that Christianity teaches, right? He affirms the, the scriptures. There's, there's, you can't use Jesus to disconfirm or disprove some other passage in the Bible because he's the same one who inspired the Old Testament. Um, he affirms the Old Testament in several places. He affirms that it was inspired by God. Um, he also knows that we're humans made in God's image. He refers to us this way in, in, in his own words, but also in affirming the Old Testament, he shows that we're made in God's image, right? And the scripture tells us you shall not murder or take the innocent human life. You shall not take innocent human life. That's what murder is, right? Because we are made in God's image. So it's an it's a innate quality of mankind, not due to our intelligence, not due to our capability, not due to our dependence, not due to our size, not due to the environment we're in. It's just innate in our human nature. We have human value. God says, don't kill them. Don't do that. It's wrong. Murder is wrong. Jesus would affirm that as well. Because what the Bible says about human value is true about all humans. And embryos are humans. The third thing I'll mention is the cross. When Jesus went to the cross and died, this kind of gave commentary for how he feels about the hopeless the dregs, the imbeciles, the drug addicts, the poor, the diseased, those who have a laundry list of bad things in their life behind them and who have a laundry list of bad experiences coming up in their life in front of them. And many times these are the things that are used to promote abortion. Well, what if the baby, the baby's going to have a hard time? They're going to have a really bad life growing up. We should probably kill them. I mean, that this is this is the actual reasoning of pro-choice people sometimes. But Jesus, is, Jesus dying on the cross for those very people proves that he would rather die than kill them. I think that matters. Whatever way you want to devalue the innocent human inside the mother, um, Jesus seems to undo that on the cross. Now, if you're not convinced and you say, um, and I'm about to go to your guys' questions. So we're about to hit your guys' questions in the live chat. Um, hopefully AJ can send me those over in a minute and I will, uh, I will answer them. So sorry for the glitch we had earlier. Um, Let's say you're not convinced. You're like, Mike, I, I hear you. You know, I think you're trying to be reasonable and, and I think you make a lot of good points, but but I don't think so. Um, I'm not convinced because I think maybe, maybe it's okay to up to a certain age in gestation. There's a certain age where it really is okay. Maybe. Like, I know it's wrong third trimester. I'm sure of that. But, but maybe first trimester it's okay because, you know, maybe the baby doesn't have the same brain activity that, that an infant does or I do. Um well, maybe is a very precarious thing to say. And I'll give you a reason why. Let's suppose that there's a, a, a building nearby and they're about, to, they're about to blow it up. They're having like a, a, a scheduled demolition of this building. And they're about to hit, the, hit the, the, the plunger and blow the thing up. And uh, you overhear them saying, okay, is the building clear? Because we're going to blow it up. And some guy comes out of the building and he goes, maybe... And he says, maybe it's clear. I'm not sure, but maybe there's a good chance that it's clear. Are they okay for, for blowing up the building? What are the rules? The rules are, all right, stop everything. Go and sweep every corner. Go and look in every possible hiding place. We need this building to be absolutely clear before we can push this thing. Because if we even might kill a person, we can't take this step. That's the same thing for abortion. If you think maybe it's okay early on, then I think you are still bound morally to not encourage or support abortion. In fact, you should be fighting against it because what you're really saying is maybe there's a whole bunch of murder going on there. Maybe. 
I better stop it then. Now, if you think, um, okay, I don't even agree with that, Mike. I think uh, before, it, you know, if abortion happens before the, the second trimester, I think it's okay. Well, then I'm going to have a request for you. And I know this will sound weird coming from a pro-choice person, uh, pro-life person to someone like you, pro-choice. I want to say then fight for what you believe in. Because what you're doing right now is you're probably voting for full-term abortions. You're probably putting people in office who go for full-term abortions and who fight every piece of legislation that would, that would limit the things that you think are murder. Right? Because you say the first trimester you think is okay, but everything you do supports the second and third trimester abortions. You are a hypocrite. You should be fighting at least until we get down to the first trimester. You should be fighting. And then you can turn and fight against us. But until then, hold our hands and let's fight together to save some lives. If you say, well, I think in the case of rape, then abortion is okay, but only rape. Well, then why don't you fight for legislation that says that only if there's at least a claim of rape. I mean, at least that much, because you think that the other abortions are immoral, but you're still supporting them with your votes. You're causing things to happen that you think are immoral with your votes. If you say, well, incest, if it's incest, then I say, well, then fight, then fight to stop abortions that don't involve rape or incest or the first trimester or whatever. Just at least have the courage of your convictions and get up and fight get up and fight. And then I do want you to rethink your convictions. And I want you to realize that just because my dad committed a rape doesn't mean I ought to be killed. This is not morally acceptable. Or just because I was the product of incest doesn't incest doesn't mean that I should be killed. Just because um, I'm really, really young doesn't mean I can be killed. No, but right now you're doing nothing. You're doing nothing. Or worse, you're voting for people who are pushing forward all kinds of uh, continued, like for, right, let me see, last February, a year ago, 44 Senate Democrats, 44 Senate Democrats blocked a bill that would stop um, a post-abortion procedures. Let me put it this way. Let's, here's the scenario, right? A woman goes to have an abortion, but in the process, the baby's delivered, comes out of the woman. She is no longer attached to the woman, has some chance of living on its own apart from the mother. The abortion failed. They just wanted to pass a law that was like, hey, you can't strangle that baby now. You can't throw that baby into a bucket now. You can't stab that baby in the head now. Now you have to treat it like any other separate human being from the mother and try to keep it alive. So they're not even passing a bill to keep abortion from happening. They're just saying if, if a born alive act is the idea. And 44 out of, I think, 45 Senate Democrats voted against this bill. Why? Because they say things like rape and incest and life of the mother, but they don't mean any of those things. What they really mean is abortion on demand without apology, um, with no no uh, no regulations. Okay, I'm going to show you guys why she blocked me, and then we're going to go to your guys' questions. So this is um, this is uh, Tatiana Gill. This is the lady who uh, a person who I um, have been sharing her artwork with you guys today. She says I draw comics and illustrations about my life, inclusivity, mental health, body positivity, addiction recovery, and uh, Seattle. And this was the message I sent her. I'm going to read it to you because the print is kind of small. Message I sent was, hi, Tatiana. I'm a YouTuber who's considering doing a video featuring your recent With You Always art. I will make sure to give you credit and to link your Twitter profile for anyone who wants to see your work. I do disagree with the message of the art, but I want to try to do so with humility and to keep from misunderstanding or misrepresenting your actual message. I'm wondering if you could give me some explanations of what the message of those two images is. I'm also wondering if you are a Christian. Or if you're just making a point with Jesus as a symbol of something. Again, I'm not writing to argue with you at all, but to better understand your perspective before making a thoughtful response to what I see as a misuse of scripture in support of abortion. I appreciate your time. Maybe a couple specific questions would be easier to respond to. Number one, what do you think with you always was meant to convey when Jesus said it? Number two, do you think your understanding of with you always would also mean that Jesus is supportive of sex traffickers? Number three, do you think Jesus is real, is really in support of women getting abortions? Or is this just an artistic way of making some other point? Thank you so much for your time. Within 15 minutes, you are blocked. <laughs> that, was, that was it. You are blocked. Why is this? Why? I mean, I was gracious. I was thoughtful. I was trying to understand her point. I, I just give me her a chance to explain herself. Um, I even gave her the thing I would say in the video. This would support sex traffickers with, with you always to help her explain, refute me, please. No. Why? Because ultimately it's about silencing the opposition, shouting over the top of pro 
uh, pro-life people, keeping them from being able to stand on the sidewalk or hold up a sign or, or discuss the issue whenever, wherever and whenever they want. It's about silencing the opposition. I, what, from what I see, pro-lifers are the ones trying to have debates. I got, I got a buddy, Mark Spence, who's been trying to get into abortion debates, and he has a really hard time finding these pro-choice advocates who are actually willing to share a stage with someone who's pro-life and have an honest discussion, a fair talk about it, because they want to silence the opposition. They want to just ignore them because, well, there's an elephant in the room, and once we point that out, all of a sudden, it's obvious how immoral it is. All right. I'm going to go to your guys' questions. I hope that this has been fruitful for you. I hope that you find some benefit here. And um, and we're going to find out how you guys respond. All right. Let me see how this works. Okay. This first question is from Trekkie Beth, who says, In a recent video, you talked about the witness of the Holy Spirit. What exactly is it like? You describe it as God himself telling me that he's real. I don't know if I've experienced that. Um, okay, so we don't have in Scripture this like sort of limiting factor where the Bible tells us the witness of the Holy Spirit feels this way or you, you know, this is what it's like. Um, so it could be that God could speak to us in various ways. I mean, that's entirely possible, but the content of like, what is the, what are the truths that God is ministering to me by his spirit are truths like, um, I am a child of God in Romans eight. We, we get this, that his spirit cries out, uh, with our spirit that we are children of God. So we're, we're getting sort of like an, some sort of internal witness. Now witness doesn't mean emotion. Witness means like when someone witnesses to you, they're like a witness on a stand. They're telling you the truth of something. They're saying, hey, that's true. So there's something where God himself is telling us in some fashion, could be a variety of ways, that we are a child of God. This could be something you get as you're reading the word of God. It could be something you have it had it happen in prayer. It could be like a constant ongoing experience. It could be quenched. It could be temporarily um, uh, quenched or harmed in some fashion, my awareness of it or my own faith and trust in what God has revealed to me. But it has you know, to do with sort of propositional truths. I'm a child of God. Um, Jesus is, is, is Lord. Those kinds of, those kinds of ideas. Now, if, if you think you, you haven't experienced that, I, I know people who I think are genuine Christians who honestly reflect and they go, I don't know that I've experienced this. At least I can't identify it. And I think that I just bear with them and say, okay, well, I totally respect that. But you, you do trust that you're a child of God? Yeah. Do you trust the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ? Yeah. The death and resurrection of Jesus? Yes. Then perhaps they're experiencing it. Um, but they're experiencing difficulty in understanding it. Um, Flora has a question. Some Christians who are against abortion are pro-IVF, saying life begins only in the womb, egg in Psalm 139, and thus it's okay for embryos to be destroyed. How would I respond biblically? Thanks. Um, Okay, well, I don't know. I've never heard someone say that. But as I understand it, Flora, the question is, um, well, how do I respond to someone who says, hey, if, if the sperm and egg are joined outside the womb somewhere else, then it's not life because it didn't happen in the womb. Uh, that's like an argument of location. It's like saying that someone is only alive when they're in the womb, which is the opposite of what a lot of pro-choice people want to say. They want to say that the baby doesn't count until it's out of the womb. So they use the location argument in the opposite direction. They say you have to be out of the womb before you're considered alive. Um, that's weird. Um, wouldn't it be true then that after a woman delivers a baby, if if, if she, the baby's out of the womb, now it's less alive. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know that much about in, in vitro fertilization, so I don't want to comment too much on it. But I just want to respond to that one line of argument. Uh, Jeremy Massey says, uh, who is Zechariah 13 talking about? Um, let's see. Um, I don't think I'm going to be ready to answer that question off the top of my head. Let me just look and see. Yeah, um, I was I was reading Zechariah not too long ago, and there are okay. I'm gonna just pass on that one for now, Jeremy, because sometimes off the top of my head, I'm like, yeah, I'm not loading that data in my mind right now very well, and I don't want to speak wrongly on it. So I'm, I apologize. I'm gonna pass on that one. Uh, Lauren Woodyard says, my family only votes based on what candidate is pro-life. I understand the importance of the issue, but is it responsible um, for that to be the only issue? Your ministry is an incredible blessing. Thanks. Thank you, Lauren. Um, um, I don't think it has to be the only issue, but to me, it's, it is the most important issue on the ballot to me. And so 
it's a deal breaker. Put it that way. It's a deal breaker. I, if a candidate is not pro-life, I won't vote for them personally. Yeah, uh, because it seems like a deal breaker to me. If they um, if they are in, amongst pro-life candidates, I want to pick the best option. But I'll give you an extreme example. Let's say that I was going to vote for someone who was pro-life and I thought they were really pro-life, like they're actually going to push pro-life policy. But I really was convinced they were going to bankrupt our country because of their terrible economic policies. I would still vote for them. Because in my, and this is my personal answer, just me as an individual person, I, I would still vote for them. And the reason I would is because I think that the moral responsibility on the issue of abortion is way up here and that the cost of, of uh, financial pain is totally worth saving those babies' lives. So yeah, now this doesn't mean it's the only issue you have to care about, but it does seem like a deal breaker issue to me. Uh, Linda Elmore says, what should I do if I have family who confess to be Christian, but their gospel is distorted? If they're unwilling to have a conversation about it, how much separation is necessary? Well, I think that it's important and healthy for us to recognize there's a difference between family and fellowship uh, in church. So, um, you know, we read in 1 Corinthians about separating ourselves from those who are living in like really grievous, constant sin, and they're unwilling to repent or be humble about it or anything like that. And so there's an idea of separation that's meant to be a temporary separation for them to grow and be restored in fellowship. We also read about those who preach false gospels and how we're to like not even welcome them into our homes. And uh, here, here it's referring to, I should be careful when I say this, it's not referring to Jehovah's Witnesses who knock on your door and you're like, come sit down, let's talk. It's referring to um, taking them into your home and housing them and encouraging them in their ministries. So I'm not to do any partnership with a ministry that preaches a false gospel. But family seems to be different than this situation, right? Family is different. And, and I can give you scripture that proves it. So in First Peter, um, Peter deals with a woman who's married. The hypothetical is a woman who's married to an unbelieving husband. And he encourages her to do well in this marriage, to have a healthy marriage, and to stay committed to her husband. There's no idea of separation between this woman and her unbelieving husband. Now, her unbelieving husband could well be saying things like, Jesus isn't the Messiah, he never rose from the dead, the Bible's a bunch of made-up nonsense, which is effectively the same as a false gospel, right? And it's an anti-gospel. Yet she doesn't separate from her husband. She stays faithful to him. She, she stays loving to him. She spends time with him. She tries to build relationship with him. Because family is not the same as fellowship. Family is not the same as church. So I think that while uh, someone like that might not be welcomed in a ministry, I, I, if they're my family, I still want to stay connected to them and preach to them and minister to them and outreach to them as much as possible. I hope that that helps. Dakota France says, what is problematic when looking at creation science or what is your opinion on it? Um, I, I love that there's different, my, my brief opinion of this Dakota, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. And my opinion though, is that I really love looking at the people who are uh, studying these things and reporting back on them. I love guys like Stephen Meyer. Um, I really like Stephen Meyer a lot, you know, and the, the content they're producing to help us understand these sort of complicated issues. Um, you know, Michael Behe's irreducible complexity, I think is really interesting and I haven't heard good responses to it personally. Um, so I think that kind of stuff's real interesting. And I know there's also other groups like Hugh Ross and his group has their angle. Ken Ham and their group has their angle. And me being someone who doesn't know what the right answers are to these questions, I appreciate just listening to all the people involved uh, and thinking about it. So uh, there's a few thoughts on it. Uh, Susan Morales says, uh, when does a person have a soul? Ooh, that, that is a challenging question. And Susan, I don't know the right answer to it. Um, when does insolment take, that's the term is insolment that people discuss. I don't know what the right answer for that is. Uh, some people would say at conception. Um, uh, others, and some would say that the soul is somehow genetic, like maybe, maybe you get it right away and it develops slowly, becoming more concrete or more, perhaps more um, advanced or something. Um, others would say uh, the soul comes at some point, like maybe at the quickening, the first time the woman feels the baby, or perhaps when, when the first time the blood flows or something like that. And then discussions about when twins break off in the womb, there's a whole other discussion about is there's, okay, what if the insolment happened at inception or conception, not inception, at conception, if that's when insolment took place, and then sometime later there was a twinning that happened, the two twins broke off. Wait, did, did the soul split? Did one soul become two souls? And these are questions I don't know the answers to. <laughs> so um, good question. Um, all right, uh, Nye Lady in Red says, uh, given that God would permit the loss of innocent lives in a just war, wouldn't he also permit or allow for abortions in cases of rape or incest? Um, God permitting things does not mean God's giving permission for those things. I think this is a really important distinction. 
Uh, God permits people to commit murder. I mean, he does. People commit murder. He allows it. So this doesn't give us permission to do though to do that. Um, yeah. So now, would God perhaps allow in cases of rape or incest? Well, let me put it this way. Here's why I don't think this makes sense. Well, I don't have any examples in scripture for this. Um, I have the, 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 the soul of the, the child will not die for the sins of the father. It, um, I believe it's uh, Ezekiel that teaches on this, that the, the, the son will not die for the sins of the father. And that's what rape does. Rape kills the son for the sins of the father or the daughter for the sins of the father or mother. Um, in the case of incest, what we're saying is because your DNA is compromised, you you should be killed. And just think if we play that out, what if it was a one month old baby and at one month old, you find out that that baby is both the result of rape and incest. Is it okay to kill that baby now? No, God forbid, this is a one month old baby. But wait, what is it that's different about the baby six months ago from now when it's one month out of the womb? What about when it was six months in the womb, a six month old baby? What is it so different about it? Well, it's not smart enough. Well, one month old baby ain't smart. <laughs> Doesn't even know what's going on. Oh, it's, but it's dependent on the mother. Well, it's dependency just makes it more of a victim. It doesn't mean we can kill it. it none of these qualities seem to change. Uh, the moral issue. Um, LU graduate says, do people realize that the term for fetus is Latin for baby? I doubt it. <laughs> um, good question. Uh, Gerard Perry says, what do you think of the divisions between the pro-life and abolitionist movements. I'm not totally sure of all what the divisions are. I'm trying to remember now because um, I'm so interested in pro-life versus pro-choice that I'm not really as focused on those things. Some talk about how aggressive we should be as pro-lifers. Should we show signs? Should we show images? Um, I'm, I'm much more open to those types of things. I think that those things can be used with, with wisdom. They can be used with great effect. Um, but as far as like, should it be illegal? Should it be punishable by law? Well, it seems like an obvious yes to me. It seems like an obvious yes. Do we retroactively go and punish everybody in the past who's already done it? I don't think that's even feasible to do that. I'm talking about moving forward. <clears throat> but it's a real human rights violation. It's a genuine human rights violation. When we stopped slavery in America, we caused the slave owners to re release the slaves, right? We didn't go back and prosecute them for all the years of what had happened before, but we had to like make a change. It was, let's turn the tide, okay? But then in the future, if someone is caught trying to enslave someone, yes, they're punished by law. And I think that we, sh we would have that same policy going on here. Zen, she says, Dear Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts about the souls of the babies that have been killed through abortion? Do you think babies that have died go straight to heaven? I, I think they do go to be with the presence of God. And I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful for that. Um, for those who think uh, that means it's okay to kill them. Well, let's kill them because we'll send them all to God. Um, well, that's, you can make the same case for killing Christians. That you guys can kill me because I'll go to God. Um, and if you if you think if your moral compass works that way, then uh, I just hope you don't live near me. Jose Luis Gonzalez says, "Should the pro life movement support free health care for pregnant women and paid leave?" Uh, no. Um, and this is this this gets into a bigger issue, which is this: here's the pro life movement. Stop killing innocent humans. Here's the pro choice movement. If you don't pay for people's health care, we won't stop killing innocent humans. Wait, what? I mean, these were some of the stuff that happened with slavery, the slavery issue in the early U.S. They were like, hey, you let these slaves go. Are you going to provide for them? Are you going to take care of them? Are you going to provide housing and school and jobs and all this stuff? Wait, I don't have to provide all that to tell you that that's a human rights violation. I don't have to, like, create homes for Jewish people to tell you that you need to let them out of, of you know, Auschwitz. Right? Don't put that burden on me. It's an immoral thing to, to say that we're not going to stop killing these people unless you provide health care for these other people. That being said, pro-life movements do, actually pro-life movement does tons to help women through not only pregnancy, but after pregnancy for, for the first years of motherhood, for, um, for uh, adoption services if they need them, all those things. <clears throat> Eddie Vasquez says, uh, what should I say when the woman's life might be in danger if she carries the baby to term? My view on this and most of the pro-lifers I've ever talked to view, view that that's the one situation where abortion is appropriate. And the idea is this, um, you're not, you're not doing this to kill a life. You're doing this to save a life, right? You're going to lose two lives. In a situation where both the mother and the child will die, you should do your best to save whoever you can. I think we all understand this. If we had conjoined twins and one of them was dying, but because they're conjoined, the death of one would kill the other, there it's okay to separate them, even if that separation causes the death of the one who's already dying. 
So there are situations like that where it's like both will die if we don't save one, and we have to do this horrible procedure to save one. That that's the one exception, and I don't know of personally, I don't I don't know of a pro-choice person I've heard who says other other than that. So I, the life of the mother, like there's no argument here. Um, let's see, Adventures of Smooch Pooch. And Emily Wallace says, what is Mike's opinion on fertility drugs? My stepsister used the drugs and is having twins. It's scary because the mother is small and now this is an unnatural birth. Thank you. Um, I don't I don't think I'm qualified to talk about them, but I mean, it, it, off the cuff, my thought is, oh, fertility drugs would seem to be good as long as they're good fertility drugs, but I don't know enough about them. Uh, last question for tonight. Zenshi says, Dear Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts about the souls of babies that have been killed through abortion? Do you think babies that have died go straight to heaven? And yes, I do. And AJ uh, recommends 2 Samuel 12, 23, because this is where David talks about how after he lost his child, he's he says, I could go to be with him, but I can't bring him to be with me. And he seems not to just be saying I could die like he died. He seems to be saying I could go to be with him. That there's like, that baby went somewhere and he's going there too. And David certainly thought he was going to be in glory. So uh, that is the live stream for today. Um, we've got more stuff coming up in future weeks. And I have a video coming up real soon on the Passion Translation. I just did a um, really good, I think a good video covering a lot of topics with um, on Doreen Virtue's channel. It's not up on our channel yet, but once it gets up, I'll also share it on my channel and all that good stuff. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, hey, Zinchi, it was good seeing you again. I feel like I haven't seen you in a while, at least that I know of. So it was good seeing your senior name again. And I hope you guys have a great day. Thanks again to my mods and all that. And don't forget to check out the uh, video description because I did put some links in there that I think you guys would find interesting. Thank you for uh, joining me and for thinking these things through. Let's not forget the babies. Mm -hmm.